story of the lost son, we realize that Job declares, "Man that is born of a few, uh, man that is born of a woman is of few days, and full of trouble." Job also said, "Man that is born is but a vapor. Life is so short, and uh, doctors tell us that we begin to die the moment that we are born." There are two appointments that we have in life. One is birth and one is death. And uh, death is a door that merely leads to the presence of God. If uh, you're ready to go through that door, uh, if you're not, it leads to a negative place. But in the story of the prodigal son, we find a kid that was part of the family, uh, unhappy with where he was, decided that he wanted to taste the things of the world, asked the dad for and got his inheritance, uh, took his money, moved into a far country, uh, began to party, began to celebrate, began to spend his money. And when he spent all of his money, there was a famine in the land, and he found a job. It was unlawful for a Jew to have anything to do with swine, with pigs. It was unlawful for them to touch a pig, eat a pig, feed a pig, have anything to do with the pig. Look at somebody and say, oink, oink, anything to the pig. But he found himself feeding pigs, and he got so hungry. We're not sure. Different translations reveal different things. There are some translations that share that he ate the pig slop. Other translations are saying that he wanted to eat the pig slop, that he was so hungry, that he was so low. He was in the gutter. He was as low as you can get, and he wanted to eat the pig slop. And then the Bible says that no one gave him anything. He was on his own. There was no help. There was no human services. There were no food stamps. He was at rock bottom. And when he found himself at rock bottom, he remembered his dad's house. He remembered the servants at his dad's house, how they ate well and had food left over. So he began to negotiate with himself, and he said, I will go home. I am no longer worthy. I have discredited myself. I've disqualified myself. I'm no longer his son, but I will get a job. My dad will hire me as a job as a servant. So did not take a bath, did not take a shower, went home smelling like pig slop. When he got down the driveway, the Bible says the dad who was watching for him saw him, ran to him, embraced him. The son tried to push the dad back and say, Dad, I'm not worthy. Dad, I, I smell like pig slop. Dad, I just want to be your servant. But the dad cut him off before he could disqualify himself. And the dad said, you were lost, and now you're found. You were dead, and now that you're alive, I'm so glad that you're home. We're going to celebrate, and you know the story, the five things that the dad gave the son, and the son found restoration, found love, and found another chance in the house of his father. Aren't you glad this morning that many of us can relate to being in the gutter, can relate to to wanting to eat the pig slop, wanting being so desperate that we found ourselves doing some really desperate things. In my search for God, I put some stupid things in my body. I smoked some stupid stuff. I went to stupid places. I hang around stupid people. Can anybody relate? Because there was something inside of me that there was a quest. I was looking for something. And I believe in life, every one of us come to a place in our life where we begin to look for either purpose or destiny or value or why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing with life? I don't know that I was that 
the, uh, ideological in that season of my life, but I knew that there was a hunger in my life that I was trying to fill and obviously looking for love in all the wrong places. But aren't you glad this morning that we came and he found us? Aren't you glad that he found us and he accepted us just the way that we were? Some of us, he didn't just get in the gutter. He kind of got to the bottom of the gutter for some of us. And the Bible says he lifted us up out of the miry clay, out of the yuck, out of the junk of the world, bathed us, clothed us, put us on a rock, and put a new song in our mouth. And aren't you glad this morning that we have a new song, no longer the blues, no longer the songs of yesterday, but God has put a new song in our, in our, in our heart, a new song in our mouth. In this story of the prodigal son, this morning I want to talk about the other prodigal son, and I'd like to begin sharing are we, is everybody at Luke 15? Is everybody but me? I'd like to go to verse, I believe it's 25. It is. There's a celebration going on in the house. They are dancing. There's music. And the older son was in the field. And he came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has, because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But... As soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with a harlot, you killed the fatted calf for him. The father said to the son, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary be glad. Your brother was dead. He's alive again and was lost and is found. What a story. We don't know the end of this story. We don't know if the older son came in the house. We don't know if the older son received the younger son back into his life. We just kind of left there with the story of the dad addresses the son. And as you look at the dad addressing the son, you'll find five things that the son encountered the older son. And the first thing that the older son encountered was anger. He became angry and refused to go into the house with a celebration and where the party was going on. You know, when you look at Luke, the 10th chapter, if you'll, if you'll just bear with me just for a minute, I kind of set you up in Luke, the 10th chapter. Uh, a lawyer came to Jesus and asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the law. What do you read? And the reason Jesus said that was certain devout Jews in that generation, wore on their wrists. Everybody look at your wrist. And they wore something. It was not a watch. It was called a phylactery. And the phylactery was a little square leather box. And inside that leather box, there were scripture, the, the, the word from Leviticus and from Deuteronomy. And so people that were real involved in, in that type of worship, they wore those scriptures on their wrist to remind them of what God's commandments had to say. And when Jesus asked the young man, what do you read? Jesus referring to 
on his wrist, he, he wore the scripture that said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And as he began to share, and then he added, And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said, You have read well. If you do these things, you will have eternal life. And what were those things? They're fivefold. Number one, to love the Lord with all your heart. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And usually you can look at a person's checkbook to find out where his heart is. Do you have a friend in the house? We spend money on stuff we love. We spend money on stuff we care about. And you can usually find where our treasure is by looking at where we invest our time, our talent, and our money. It's kind of a neat thing that when you fall in love, whatever that means, when you fall in love and you tell somebody you love them with all your heart, that means there's nothing else you love more than them except obviously your relationship with God. Hello, we put that first. But when you tell somebody you love them with all of your heart, that means you love them more than you love your buddies. You love them more than you love your guns. You love them more than you love your hot rod. Hot rod. <laughs> you love them more than you love your fishing poles. You love them more than you love shopping. You love them more than you love drugs. Am I talking to anybody in the house this morning? When you tell somebody you love them with all of your heart, that's quite a statement. And when we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, that means we put everything else on the back burner and we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when we do that, all the things that we need are added to us. He's a God of addition. He's a God of multiplication. He's not a God of division or a God of subtraction. He's a God that loves his kids. And when you love God, he loves you right back. Pastor Ron has said it so well. The greatest statement ever made in the history of the world, period. Greater than Aristotle, greater than Socrates, greater than Winston Churchill, greater than Abraham Lincoln. The greatest statement ever made in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but should have an everlasting life. And this is what the young man was talking to Jesus about. How do I receive everlasting life? So Jesus said, you've got to love the Lord with all of your heart. He is your priority. He's the first thing on your agenda. Then you, then you love the Lord with all of your soul. That soulish man refers to eternity. Your soul will live forever. Let me, let me rephrase that. Your soul will survive forever in one of two places. In heaven, that was intended for you, or in hell, that was intended for the devil. Hell was not built for you. It was not fashioned for you. It's not God's will, his purpose, his desire, his attitude that any should perish and go to hell. The Bible said that none would perish, no, not one. That's the heart of God. And when your soulish man is where it needs to be eternally, you begin to make decisions that are eternal. Am I helping anybody in the building? You begin to realize there is a, another door, and we're going to step through that door, and we're going to enter into a paradise that has already been predetermined and predestined by our efforts here on earth. There are a lot of people, when they get to heaven, they're going to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have done well. 
You've been faithful over the little. I'll make you ruler over many. And then we begin to question God, and he, and he begins to declare that you minister to the widow and the orphan. And when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was, clo- when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. Five-fold areas there that we can invest in this earth to redeem when we get to heaven. How many knows what the word redemption means? Let me rephrase that, ask another question. How many remembers blue chip stamps? Where are you? How many remembers green chip stamps? How many remember the books of blue chips? How many remember going to the grocery store and watching your parents buy groceries and all of a sudden this big old this big old run of stamps were printed out and they gave it to your you guys not can not, you're can you anybody over here relate? Anybody? And you know what? You put those stamps in a book, and they gave you a catalog, and that catalog had all these little gifts, little stuff that you could redeem the stamps for. And you would go to the redemption store, and you'd walk up to the counter, and you'd give them however many books that you had collected, and so many books got you so many stuff, and you gave them the books, and they gave you the thing, and you redeemed your stamps. That's exactly. What's going to happen when we stand before God? We're going to hear him say, hopefully, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over, over the five things I've asked you to be faithful for. Now enter into the kingdom that's been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. God has been thinking about heaven for a long time, and God has been preparing heaven for you and I based on our efforts here upon earth. We don't get to heaven by works. We get to heaven by confession. We get to heaven by declaring that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life, and we serve him with our best ability. But one day when we get to heaven, we are going to be rewarded for our efforts there by what we did here on earth. Does that help anybody? So that soulish man needs to get involved in the kingdom and the things of the kingdom. Love the Lord thy God with all of your mind. How many knows that you can have the mind of Christ? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It talks about his pilgrimage from the cross to, 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 to eternity and how he rose from the grave. And we can begin to actually, the Bible says, our thoughts are not his thoughts, his thoughts are not our thoughts. But when you renew your mind by the transformation that the process that goes forth, your mind can actually begin to think the things that God thinks about. Your mind, anybody with me? I mean, if, if, you're, if you're not careful, your mind in the next 60 minutes will have 60,000 different thoughts. It's amazing how the mind has the ability. It's, just, it's greater than any computer. You can't build a computer that can compare to the thought process that God puts in your mind. But when you begin to think on the eternal and you begin to think on the things of God and you begin to think, what would God have me do in this particular scenario all of a sudden, your mind begins to think the way that the Lord thinks, and you can have the mind of God. How crazy is that? You can actually find out what God is interested in and start being involved with that. You can begin to think about what God wants you to say or wants you to do, and you can do that. I talked with somebody yesterday on the phone, and this person is in a, in a, in a real tough place in her life, came from a very abusive marriage, a, a dangerous marriage, and has left the state and is in another state, and it's a brand-new window for her. And she was sharing with me how that she was sitting somewhere, and the door opened for her to begin to minister. I believe that every day God puts us in the lives of people that need what we have 
help me. They need what they literally need what we have. And they have some of the needs, same needs that we had weeks, months, years ago. And we are strategically placed there almost like a secret agent, almost like a almost or let me like a, a ranger or a green beret or a marine. We are there doing spiritual warfare because warfare we're doing spiritual warfare. The spirit of Pastor Ron is on me now, the spirit of warfare. We got this, that, that we've been sitting there with the spirit of warfare, that that person in front of us was God-ordained, God-destined. God moved some mountains to get that person to where you're at, that you could speak into their life. And the words you begin to speak are words of victory and freedom and love and understanding and power and authority. All that is in you. And when you wake up in the morning and say, God, what, where do you want me to go today? What do you want me to do today? It'll blow your mind how God will begin to strategically put you in the life. And that person sitting there is actually reading your diary of 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. That that's where you used to be and that's how you used to think. And then you have the ability to say, well, listen, let me tell, let me tell you what God did for me. There was a window years and years ago. And I believe he's dead now. But Pastor Ron and I were introduced to a uh, multimillionaire, uh, a entrepreneur, and he was the one that created the Nutri, uh, help me, Pastor Ron, New Life, um, Her- Herbalife, uh, the guy that actually began to create, invent, process, and market Herbalife. And it was a, uh, a vitamin, it was just a, it was vitamin shakes, it was stuff that was good for you, and, and it, it did very, very well. And uh, we were at a meeting with him. Marcus and Joni introduced us to him, and uh, he began to share with us some of the things that he had learned in the business world. And in the business world, he had learned how to identify and deal with every single question that was asked him. It didn't matter what they asked him about the product. He only had one answer. And they might say something, well, I understand that this product is bad for someone that's pregnant, or I understand this this product is bad for someone on sugar diabetes, or I understand that this product can cause cancer. It didn't matter what they said to the, said to him. Here's what he said back. He say, "I don't know about that, but let me tell you what the product did for me. I don't know about that, but let me tell you what the product he his testimony. He began to share what the product did for him. And aren't you glad this morning that you have a testimony?" That when people begin to question, begin to ask, and begin to say, well, what about this? Well, well, you don't know how many drugs I take, or you don't know how many times I've been married, or you don't know how many laws I've, I've broken, or you don't know how many people I've hurt or how many people I've wounded. Here's what you say to them. I don't know about that, but let me tell you about a God that loves you just the way you are, will take you just the way you become, and will change your <coughs> life. Fourthly, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy strength. And we all know what that means. It means actually getting involved, becoming a part of the process that brings people to God. And however, however involved that might be, whether it's working in a soup kitchen, whether it's knocking on doors, whether it's being a part of the youth group, whether it's, but somehow you're, you're actually you're, you're exerting some strength, some inertia, some effort to make a difference in someone else's life. The older son had a problem with the younger son, and he said to his dad, your son did this. Well, you know what was so crazy is that he, he, re, he removed himself from the equation. He didn't say my brother. He said your son. 
it is so easy sometimes if we're not careful to feel like that we have arrived and we're so religious and we're so holy and we're so special that we begin to judge those that haven't yet come to the place that we're at. Am I helping anybody in the building? It's easy sometimes to look at somebody and judge them or assume that you know them or assume that you're aware of what they're going through and to disqualify them and to disown them and to say, I want nothing to do with that person. But here's what Jesus said. You don't just love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, but you love your neighbor as yourself. Man, that's a, that's a, Jesus said it, he lives it, I can't. Well, who is my neighbor? Well, we begin to learn the person that's beat up and bloody and broken and bound and in trouble. That is our neighbor, and that is the ones that we are to love. But sometimes it's easy to have people in our life that have messed up so bad that we've judged them, and we have the attitude of saying, they're never going to get a grip. They're never going to get a job. They're never going to get off drugs. They're never going to get out of the pit. They're always going to... They're always going to be there, and we judge them, and we make ourselves holier than them, and therefore, they're no longer our brothers, but they're simply God's children. Anybody relate to what I'm saying? See, here's what Jesus said, and again, Jesus said it. He lived it. I can't. I'm working on it, but he said, bless those that curse you. Let me tell you what I want to do with those that want to curse me. I want to give them the peace symbol with only one finger. Can anybody relate? I want to honk the horn and run them off. Hello, I want bad things to happen to them. I could care less if a shovel fell out of the sky and whacked them over the head and knocked out all their teeth. I'd probably say, praise God. Look at somebody and say, that's not the right way to roll. It gets worse. He says, love those that hate you. Hello, what do you mean love those that hate you? It's easy to love my grandma. But it's not so easy to love somebody on the street that's not living their life the way that I think that they should live or I think they should respond. That makes me judgmental. And all of a sudden, I am overwhelmed with, are you ready? Wait for it. Drum roll. Pride. Pride. A judgmental attitude will bring pride, and we see ourselves as better than someone else. But twice in the story, the servant said, your brother... And the father said, your brother, not his son, but your brother. And when you ask, who is my brother? Jesus begins to share the story of a guy that left Jerusalem. So many, uh, so many uh, analogies in this particular story. And I will be brief this morning because my time is short. But in the story, as Jesus begins to tell the story of a guy who left Jerusalem, which represents the house of God, the place of God, the position of God, and he began to travel to Jericho. We know that Jericho represents the world. You remember the walls of Jericho fell flat. The wall, Jericho was a city that was at the Dead Sea level. So let me paint a picture for you. From Jerusalem to Jericho was about a 20-mile journey. Jerusalem, as most of you already know, is at an elevation of 2,300 feet above sea level. The Dead Sea is at an elevation of 1,660 feet below sea level. So we see in a 20-mile window, 
we see this, this downhill path that, that's leading to the city of Jericho. And this road has been called the way of blood or the road of misery. The reason being is that robbers would ambush people on this road. As they left Jerusalem to go to Jericho, they would ambush people on this road. It was called the bloody road. In the 14th century, there were sheiks that you had to pay tribute to to cross on this road. Even in 1930, there was this guy by the name of Abdul Jamal, and this guy Abdul Jamal was a thief, and he would stop cars, and he would rob them, and then he would run off into the hills before the police could catch him. It was a, it was a bad road. It was a bad place to be. And when you leave the place of God, and when you leave the presence of God, and you leave the house of God, you, you, you usually find yourself in a bad place. Can anybody relate? You're where God is, where God wants you to be. You're working with the things of God. Then all of a sudden, you just hit a snag. You hit a, you hit a snag. Some people call it backsliding or falling back or whatever it is. But you begin, to, you begin to leave the things of God, and you find yourself in a place where you declare, I never thought I'd wind up here. Can anybody? We've looked at people judgmentally and say, I'll never do that. I'll never be like that. I'll never go like that. And the, some of the very things that we say we wouldn't do, we find ourselves stuck. And there we are at Jericho. On the way to Jericho, he should have never been traveling alone at night. It was not a safe place. But you know what? When we get in the world, we do some really dumb things. Can anybody relate? We will do, we will do some risky things. We'll do some stupid things. So he, so he makes his way. The thieves fall up among him, and they leave him half dead. So you've got to realize he's laying the road. He looks like he's dead. The Levite come by, which represents the government. The Levite looked at him but passed by on the other side because he didn't want to mess with somebody that had hit rock bottom. I will try this morning not to be angry, but I'm very upset with our judicial system that all it does is apply fines and restrictions and takes licenses and takes this and takes that. If you wanted to get back on your feet and you wanted to do the right thing, if you're not careful, the government wants thousands of your dollars, hello, just to reinstate your driver's license. Am I preaching to the choir this morning? I'm so I'm so fed up with, with, with government because all it seems to do is to be after money. Everything's a fine. Everything's costly, this and that. No matter where you find yourself, it You've got to pay to get out of trouble. You've got to pay to get your license back. You've got to pay to get your life back. And the, the, I don't think the government has the answer to the problems of the, of the, that the world is facing today. I believe that only Jesus has the answers to the problems that we face, that we encounter. So the government walks by, and the government can't help because most government-supported programs do not work because they're simply a weak program when really someone in trouble needs months to get restored and to get healed. Am I talking to anybody in the building? So the government walks by. The government can't help. The priest walks by and sees him and has compassion on him, but passes by on the other side because of this. If the priest touched, if the man was dead and the priest touched him, he would be unclean seven days. So therefore, it was uncomfortable. It was a nuisance for the man for the priest to touch the man. So the priest saw the man, saw his hurt, saw his need, but passed by on the other side. And let me tell you something. I don't know that church 
has the answer to your problems. I don't know that religion has the answer to your problems. As I said again, I believe only Jesus has the answer to your problems, and most churches aren't set up to really handle the problems that we are experiencing today. Do I have a witness in the house? I believe Church of the Harvest is a different kind of church. I believe that our hearts go out to the widow, the single mom, the orphan. That's the fatherless. I believe that's our focus. That's one of the areas that we go in. But most churches either cannot or will not help you. When's the last time you went to church and they loaned you $20? When's the last time you went to church and they paid your electric bill? When's the last time you went to church and they had like an Esther project? I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not disqualifying churches. I'm just saying church as a whole does not have the ability to meet the needs and the negatives of the generation that we are in. But there was a certain Samaritan, and he was headed somewhere, and he saw the man, and he went to the man, and he bound up his wounds, and he poured in oil, which represents healing, and he poured in wine, which represents joy. He put him on his own beast. Listen, sometimes... Dealing with dealing with the dealing with the prodigals gets messy. Sometimes dealing with the prodigals, you get stuff on your hands that you have a tough time washing off. Dealing with the prodigals, there's a certain smell attached to the world, and it's putrid and it's sick and it's ugly. Sometimes you got Sometimes you just got to roll up your sleeves and you got to pick them up. And sometimes you get some of the gutter on you. Sometimes you get the stench of the world on you. It's it's costly sometimes ministering. To the prodigal, but oh, how so much it is worth it! And the and the, the the Samaritan takes the man to the innkeeper to the inn, which represents the church, and tells the innkeeper, which rep, represents the pastor, take care of him. Here's finances. If you spend more, when I come back, I will repay. Who is my brother? It's anybody that needs the Lord more than I do. Am I helping anybody in the building this morning? It's anybody that needs the Lord more than I do. And you know what? That's all I got. That's all I got. That's all I that's all that all that I had for you today. The uh uh again the older the older brother got angry. He distanced himself. He decided not to go in. His dad came to where he was and here's what the dad said. I'll close with this. All that I have is yours. Say this with me. All I have belongs to God. That sounds kind of pitiful, doesn't it? That's kind of a missionary. Well, all I've got (laughs) belongs to God. Like God really needs what we have. Hello. Say this with me. All God has belongs to me. All God has belongs to me. Son, all I have belongs to you. You can have a party anytime you want. You could fill the static gap anytime you want. Be careful that you don't get so ritualistic and so legalistic in your efforts to work for God that you realize that God wants you to have a party. Don't get quiet on me now. God wants you to celebrate. God wants you to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy being a part of the family of God and enjoying all the blessings that are attached to that that comes to him. The promises of God are yea and amen through Christ Jesus. And aren't you glad that without faith, 
It's impossible to please God, for he that comes to God, help me, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the word. We thank you for your spirit in this place. We ask, Lord, as we pray today for those that are hurting and wounded and lost, that you would honor our prayers. We pray today that you would open doors for us that no man could open and you would shut doors for us that no man can shut, that we would walk where you desire for us to walk, that we would be what you desire for us to be. And one day we would, in surprise, hear you say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Let us get involved in kingdom warfare. Let us get involved in kingdom life, and let us reap the seed that we've sowed in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and you all said, amen.